Honest, real, raw, true conversation and prayer with God. down into the water and when you do the old person dies you come up out of the water as a new creation of Jesus Christ Hey, welcome to Church Experience. Thank you so much for spending part of your weekend with us. Now is a great time to grab your weeklies and head to your seats if you haven't already because the service starts in 90 seconds. I'm here to tell you today that God wants to set you free. Oh, yeah. He wants to set you free.
presence. Pursue a relationship with him. Grow in your walk with him. Get closer to him. Spend more time with him because he's better. If you want your life to get better, then get around the one who is better. Get around Jesus. Get around the one who has power to change and transform your life. Get around the one who has the perfect grace for you and the perfect love for you and the perfect joy for your soul. Listen, he is better. We are so happy to see you today. I'm looking forward to today's impacting service. During the service, you may have some questions, comments, or prayer requests. So go to churchexperience.tv connect, or pull out your camera app and scan the QR code to connect with us. Or you can even hit that subscribe button if you always want to know what's going on here at CE. We're always glad to hear from you, get back to you, and pray for you. But guess what time it is? Time to spend some time worshiping God through some songs. Let's jump in, participate, and let God speak to us through this time.
Heavenly Father, Lord, as we sing those words of declaration, Lord, that we believe, we believe in you, Father God. We believe in the power of Jesus' name. Father God, we just thank you for the cross and everything that you have done for us, even though that we don't deserve it and we didn't earn it. But Father God, we are just so grateful for you. I just pray that we lean into you, God, that we trust the path that you have for us. We just love you, God. And we pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So we had an old couch in our house that really needed to be replaced. The fabric was torn. This thing was used up. It was time to go. So we drove downtown Tampa to Ikea, and we spotted the perfect replacement couch. It was a little different than what we had planned for, than what we had measured our space for. It had a little bump out on the end, a little chase lounge, a little, little place to put your feet up. And we thought, hey, that's different. That, that'll be something like an upgrade for us. That, that's, that works. And so we, we buy the couch and we get out to our SUV in the parking lot and we realize we have a big problem. This box is not going to fit in our vehicle. <laughs> you ever buy anything and like get out to the parking lot and be like, I, I don't know how I'm going to get home. That was us. So we, we take the couch in the parking lot out of the big old box, right? We barely get it in the vehicle, had to remove one of the seats the, the bump out chase lounge is in a box still. We put it on the roof of our SUV, strap it on. I mean, just, just picture how packed our vehicle is. All the other stuff that we have with us, our, our four kids, like our two girls, they're, they're in a seat together now. Our two boys are in a seat together. The couch is in there on the other side. I mean, we are packed in and we drive the 30 minute drive from Tampa, Ikea to our home and we, we get home, pull in the driveway. I mean, it's been a lot of work to get there. We're tired. The kids have been squished. We, we get out. We, we unbox the chase lounge. We, we get the couch inside our house. We start assembling it in the space that we're going to put it in. And, and we're so excited to have it there. And everything is just working out great right until we realize that that little part we had not measured for, the, the, the bump out, the chase lounge, we realize that that's two and a half inches too long to fit in the space that we had planned. So we're thinking, what are we going to do? Like We try to cram it in there. It won't fit. We look for other places. Is there anywhere else we can put this couch? Is there any way we can make this work? Because most of all, it's not that we don't want to get a different couch. We don't want to box this thing back up, shove it back in our vehicle, and drive all the way back to Ikea and return it. Like, we, we don't want to go through that at all costs, right? It's like, what can we do? We really like the couch. It works in every way. It's just two and a half inches too long on this, this chase part. It's like, what, what can we do? What can we do? Somehow the idea comes up. What if we just make the couch shorter, right? What, what if we just cut two and a half inches off the couch in this one spot. Yeah, so it's an Ikea couch, wooden frame. We flip it over and sure enough, we're like, I think we can do this. 
And, and then fast forward like 15 minutes, I'm leaning over this brand new couch we just bought with my circular saw, and I'm cutting two and a half inches off the frame of the couch while Jennifer is holding the fabric back so I don't cut the actual couch fabric. The kids are all standing around getting us tools, helping out, laughing, right? Like, what family cuts a brand new couch in half? But there we are. It was cut in half. Point of no return. If this doesn't work, there's no way Ikea is going to take a couch back that's been cut in half. I mean, sure, it didn't fit in the space, but bro, you, you cut it in half. <laughs> it's, it's over. <laughs> you got to keep it. There's no turning back. We get the thing reattached and braced up, and it's as strong as it ever was before. We get the staple gun out, fold the fabric over, staple it in. You step back, and you're like, I can't even tell that this thing was shortened. Like, it's that good. So we, we were impressed with ourselves. We put it in the space. Fits like a glove. Come on. I mean, that, that was a good feeling. We, we were like, man, who does this? Who, who cuts a couch in half? but it worked. But in the middle of the project, there was this moment like, man, there's no way this is going to work, right? This, this, this is, was a terrible idea, terrible idea to buy the couch without measuring every spot, terrible idea to cut it in half, but somehow it worked out flawlessly, it worked out perfectly. Sometimes in life, we look at our situation and we think there's no way this is going to work. That was a terrible idea. This is a terrible season of life. Like things have just not gone well. I'm down and I'm out. But the theme of this rebounding teaching series that we're in is when you're down, God's not done. Because the definition of rebounding is to bounce back after hitting a, a hard spot or a hard surface. And, and there's hard spots in life that every one of us get to. Setbacks, slowdowns. And if we could learn together how to rebound well, how to rebound and bounce back from the hard times in life, those times when we think, what have I done? How did I get here? I'm never gonna make it. Never gonna get through to the other side. If we could learn how to rebound from those times, God could do so much more in our future simply because we don't give up and we continue to trust in him. So these last couple of weeks, we've been studying this idea of rebounding. It's been so powerful. God's word is we've looked at these amazing stories, story of Joseph, week one, and Joseph who went from the prison to the palace and God used him through all the trials and setbacks. And then last week, if you're with us, we studied the life of Job. What a story, what a story. The whole book of Job is just a description of this, this crazy journey and all the conversations surrounding his, his absolute bottom of his life where he lost everything. And then how God allowed him to rebound to where things were twice as good as they had ever been in his life. And that's what we hope for you, that God will allow you to rebound. Whether you are in a low season right now, a low spot, and you need some help, some motivation, some equipping, so that you can, with God's help, bounce back to a better season of life. Or maybe it's a future season in life that you haven't hit yet. And you're going to need some tools in your toolbox to help you get through those challenges. Perhaps there's someone in your life that you love. Things are good for you, but, but that person that you really care about, they're going through some hard times. I'm hoping today that what you learn will help you help them navigate that very difficult time and rebound well. Well, where we're going today, we're gonna look at another character in the Bible, another, another great man of God who suffered a great setback. Now, unlike Job last week, who was, who was righteous in God's eyes and, and the trial that he went through really had nothing to do with the mistakes he'd made, on the other hand, some of the failures that we have in life are absolutely our responsibility. We have to own them. And, and the man we're looking at today, he made a huge failure in life. He had a huge mistake in life. He sinned against God. 
against others, and it had tremendous consequences. Yet he still was able to bounce back and rebound well. So we're going to learn from him. The man's name is David. David. And God's word, David, he's the king of Israel. He's known as a man after God's own heart. We're going to pick up his story in the middle of a battle in 2 Samuel chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Now, David had just won an amazing military battle, but his enemy, they weren't completely defeated, so they regroup and they recruit, and so they build up their army, and David hears about this. So we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 10, verse 17. It says, when David was told of this, the the enemy regrouping and recruiting, it says that he, he gathered all Israel, he crossed the Jordan and went to Helam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David, and they fought against him. But they fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of their charioteers, 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobak, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals of Hadadezer saw that they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. Chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, I I hope you caught that as we we read that passage. And you might have seen that David had a great victory. He sent the enemy running. They, They literally fled before him and he destroyed the enemy a second time. In fact, one Bible commentary says, I studied this passage, that that the book of Samuel is essentially split into two parts. The first part contains the stories of David winning eight wars, eight distinct and separate battles that he won throughout that first half. Now, right here at the end of verse one, this is literally the turning point for the rest of this book of 2 Samuel. The first half was all victory. The second half, you're going to see his mistake, which we're going to get to in a moment, and then all of the failures and the consequences and the trials that followed that. So going from victories to failures, this literally is the turning point. So I think putting a magnifying glass on these few verses would be extremely wise for us in our lives. Before he gets to the failure, before he gets to the consequences, what happened on the tail of all these amazing victories? See, success and living a blessed life a prosperous season can actually be one of the greatest liabilities in your life. So there might be some people hearing this message today that say, you know, this whole rebounding series is, is great. I'm happy for those who are going through a hard time. I'm so happy that they're here to hear this message. You're thinking of friends that you know that, that need to hear this message. But listen, if things are going well for you today, and you're thinking, I don't know that I need a rebounding message, because I've, I've done pretty well. In many ways, you're at greatest risk to get yourself in a situation where you'll need to rebound. See, success is is a test, and David had success after success after success after success. And he was fighting these battles, and battles are good for you to fight. We, We try to escape hard times. We try to get to easier times. But the problem is, when there's a lot of success, and then there's comfort, and there's ease, we get soft. But when we're in the fight, when we're in the battle, we get battle strong. We build muscle when there's pressure applied to our lives. Unfortunately, after you've gone through some battles in life, you face some hard times, you want to rebound into comfort, 
right? I mean, you, you don't want to face those again because they were hard, they were difficult. Even though your character was refined, even though you learned some life lessons, even though you became stronger as a person, when you go through difficult seasons of life, you, you want to avoid them in the future. So you kind of do the dance through life. You learn how to avoid hardship and trials and committing to things that might be difficult. And we settle into ease. And that's right where the enemy wants us in a place of comfort because that's where we get soft. That's where, listen, where muscle atrophies. How does muscle atrophy? Through lack of use. I mean, you can be in the most comfortable bed in the world. I heard someone say this one time. You, you, you will get bed sores even in the most comfortable bed if you don't move, right? If, if you just sit there and you're comfortable. I mean, my parents growing up, they had a water bed. And, and as, a, as a young kid, I was like, well, you're sleeping on water? That's crazy. And so we, my brothers and I would go in there and we'd splash around and think, well, this is crazy. It's like you can surf on their bed. But the most comfortable bed in the world, I mean, it can, it can cause pain in your life if you never move. You just lay there and don't move. So there's a point of, of comfort where it becomes dangerous. And, and when you rebound, when you rebound out of hard times, out of battles won, out of difficult seasons, here's the lesson. You want to rebound to calling instead of comfort. You want to rebound towards something, toward calling, towards God's future for you, not towards an easier life. The goal is not to get through hard seasons so that we can get back to an easier season. It's to learn lessons while we're down so that when we rise up, we can rise up to something that matters. We want to seek progress, not pleasure. We don't want to live with a theme of just take it easy, but instead we want to take it serious. The, the calling that God has on our life, we want to take it seriously. And you'll see why this matters so much in just a moment. Let's look back at the story again in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Look with me, if you will, down at verse 2. 2 Samuel 11 verse 2. It says, one evening David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Now, David should have been and could have been out with the other men in battle, but he'd won his victories. He'd won his eight wars throughout the beginning of this book. And so he maybe thought, I earned the right to a little bit of rest. I've, I've earned the right to sit this one out, take it easy have a little comfort in my life. And so he's up on the roof of his palace, looking over his kingdom when he spots temptation. He, he spots something that's appealing to him, knowing it will lead to a sinful path, knowing it could lead to danger in his life. He takes a step closer. He takes a closer look. He sends someone to go find out about her, just to find out. I, I wanna know a little bit more. Like, who is this person that I see? In 1987, at the Brooklyn Prospect Park Zoo, zoo had closed down, the park had been cleared out, nobody was left inside, and there was three young boys that lived close by, somewhere around 11 years old. And these boys had a great plan. The plan was to jump over the fence, right? This is a great plan in their young minds, to jump over the fence of the zoo, go inside and swim in the moat that's inside the zoo. They thought, hey, nobody's there, we can have some fun. It's like our own swimming pool. So they climb over this Brooklyn Prospect Park Zoo after hours, all three of them, and they, they decide to go swim in the moat, but two of the boys decide they don't want to jump the fence that's needed to get in the moat, and only the one boy is, is ready to go. Well, the problem is they'd already taken off their shirts and got ready to swim, and the boy that was willing to go took the clothes of the two other boys that were already undressed to swim and, and that did not want to go into the moat. They were too afraid, so he grabs their clothes and he throws them into this moat area onto a rock. 
Now, what these young boys were not fully aware of is that this moat and this fence were protecting everybody that walked by from these bears that were inside sleeping that you could not see. So because their clothes were inside, the two of the three boys climbed over the fence, went inside to retrieve their clothes. And as they did this and they crossed the moat, both bears woke up startled. Someone or something was in their area. And so they came out, the first bear, a 900-pound bear named Lucy, didn't really do anything, just watched and observed, was taking it all in. But the 1,400-pound bear, Teddy, came out, charged at one of the boys, grabbed it, and pulled it up into its den, where it proceeded to maul this young 11-year-old boy to death. The other two boys take off running and screaming. And at this noise, the police are alerted. They, they come, they end up shooting these two bears, but it's too late. This boy has already been mauled to death. It started out with just a little bit of curiosity. If we could just go inside and have some fun. Let's cross the fence, let's cross the moat. No one's here, we'll be fine, we'll get away with it. And that's exactly how the devil gets you into very dangerous and precarious situations. Just, just be curious, just go check it out, just get a little bit more information. And here David is on the rooftop and he sees temptation, he sees danger. And, and, and instead of sinning in that moment and, and, and stepping right into sin, he just said, I'm just gonna explore it. And he sends someone to get more information. I wanna know who this person is. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 16, verse 19, God's word says, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. God tells us to be innocent of evil, to stay far away from it, to distance ourselves from it, not to check it out, get curious about it, learn more information about it, study it, watch it. See, it's important that you're, you're careful about what you're looking at. I titled today's message, Watch What You Stare At. Pay close attention to what you're staring at. Be, be very careful. And, and why is that? Because here's the lesson. What I stare at today, I may be stuck in tomorrow. What I stare at today, I might get stuck in tomorrow. Whatever you fix your gaze on will start to raise value in your eyes. And David starts to check out, get more information on something that would eventually cause a downfall in his life that would have far-reaching consequences. What are you looking at today that's dangerous? It might be something you're scrolling. It might be someone that you're spending time with. It might be something you're consuming that's filling your mind, something that you're thinking about and dwelling on. What in your life are you staring at that you could one day be stuck in? David fixed his gaze on something that would be very dangerous in his future. And if there's any area in your life where you have been investigating or maybe started taking a few steps down that path, maybe you like those young boys at that Brooklyn Prospect Park Zoo. Maybe you have already leaped one of the fences and you're thinking about moving over the moat and getting a little bit closer to what you've been staring at. I just want to, I want to with everything I can tell you, the consequences of that decision, you can't see them yet. Just like those bears were hidden but it will be devastating. What do you do when you find yourself in that spot and you've taken a few steps down that road? Turn and run. The Bible calls it repentance. Run the other direction, move away from it. Well, David unfortunately doesn't do that. Instead of turning the other direction and walking away, he steps further into danger. Second Samuel 11, verse three, take a close look. And David sent someone to find out about her. That's what we were just talking about. He was investigating, but look what he does next. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. At that point, he should have run the other direction, but look at verse four. 
Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So perhaps David thought he could get away with it, indulge in this curiosity that led to an experience and then send her home and no one would be the wiser, but she got pregnant. And and now he knows it's just a matter of time before everyone around knows what happened. So this, this little temptation, this little step becomes a big problem. Where in your life have you got too comfortable with something that God says is sin? Where have you cozied up next to something that could destroy your future? And you're saying, it's just a little step. I just hopped over a little fence here. Not a big deal. Just swim across this little moat. But the problem is you don't see the danger in the cave right around the corner. And just like those little boys that jumped over that zoo fence, never imagined what would happen from this little innocent adventure, right? You may, without realizing it, have made some compromises in your character thinking this is not a big deal. I've just hopped over a few little fences. No one really knows. Everyone else is okay with it. It's not that big of a deal. But the reason why God treats sin as as such a big deal is because he knows how dangerous it is. Like the bear lurking in the bushes, waiting to pounce. He, He knows what it can do to our future. He knows how it can destroy and he knows how it always grows and gets worse. Well, this problem goes from bad to worse. Not only does David get her pregnant, but he tries to cover it up. He tries to bring her wife Uriah home from battle. He's out with the soldiers fighting. He comes home. But because he's an honorable man, he refuses to sleep with his wife and instead sleeps on the doorstep of their home. Won't won't even sleep in the same bed with her. So David realizes that now he has a real problem. There's no way to hide it and think, well, you... You got your own wife pregnant. No, he he won't even sleep with her. And so he goes back into battle. So David sends word to his military commander to have Uriah killed to cover up his sin. So now not only has he committed adultery and lied about it, but he's now committed murder and he's hiding these these sins. And that's, that's what the devil would love for you to imprison you in your mind to get you to take enough steps down the road where you have to hide and conceal all your sin and, and you're stuck in shame and guilt and the weight of all your choices. That's where he'd love to get you. And, and perhaps you're there today. Maybe you have some guilt you've carried over past decisions. Maybe you've never shared them with anyone. Maybe, maybe you've hidden them and, and, and maybe you're haunted by those choices. If that's you, I want you to listen because that's perhaps exactly where David was and you're gonna see how he escaped that dark dungeon and that dark prison here in just a moment. But in this moment of, of struggle that David's about to go through, this, this season of struggling that he's going through, it, it's triggered by a single decision that grows into other decisions and it, and it expands and multiplies throughout his life, touching his family, his kingdom, his future. I mean, touching every aspect of his life and his legacy. But it started with just one decision. The other night, it was the week that we had this smaller hurricane that kind of came through Florida. Uh, one of my boys came inside and, and said, Dad, hey, the garage is flooded. And I didn't think much about it because I had opened the garage door earlier when, and the heavy wind and the rains had come through. And so I thought, okay, he's just talking about the little bit of water on the floor. I'm like, hey, it's fine. Not a big deal. Got it. I just had the garage door open when it was raining and windy and blew some water in. We're good. So he goes back to doing what he's doing. Like 10 minutes later, my other son comes to me and says, hey, dad, 
there's like this much water in the garage. Now, I knew that there was some water on the floor of the garage, but when he said this much, and I could see it's about an inch or two of water, I'm thinking, okay, there was not that much water in the garage. So I jumped up, and I ran to the garage. As soon as I opened the door, I hear the sound of rushing water, and I knew I had a problem. I didn't know what the problem was, but I knew I had a big problem. And I looked over by the water softener in our garage, and I could see water spewing out of the water softener, splashing up against the wall, and dropping onto the ground where there's already a lake forming in our garage. And I'm like, no! What, what is going on? And I'm trying to figure out how to turn the water off to the water softener, trying to figure out what is happening. It takes a few minutes, and my son's helping me. We're running around, and we finally get this thing shut off and we call a plumber. The plumber comes over that night, and we try to figure out what to do and how to clean up the mess and all this stuff. And, and, and one of the things the plumber says, he's, he's like, I, I, I hope that you caught it in time. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, it's off, the water's in the garage, didn't get in the house, we're good. And he said, no, no, I, I hope you caught it in time because you see this, this, these colored, you know, little uh, pellets on the, on the ground around the water softener. He goes, these little resin pellets, these little BBs. He goes, when, when your tank breaks inside the water softener, he said, if you don't catch it quick enough, these can spread throughout the water system of your entire house and it can jam up all of your water faucets. He's like, how many bathrooms do you have? How many sinks do you have? You have a dishwasher, washing machine, like anything that uses water can be stopped and ruined because of these little resin bullets that travel throughout the pipes of your home and get into anything and everything. So this one problem over here in your garage, even though the water didn't seem to get in your house, could actually cause problems all throughout your house. Now, I'm thankful God spared us in that and it didn't affect anything in the house. But lesson learned when he said that. One, one decision over here can affect things way over here that you're not even thinking about. It could travel throughout your life and the lives of those you care about into your future, other aspects of your life. Sin is so minimized in our culture today. It's not that big of a deal. But the reason why God takes sin so serious is because he knows it's like a cancer that can travel throughout not just your, your body and your life, but through the lives of those you would touch, the ministry that God has for you, the calling that he has for you. There's so many things that God wants to do in and through your life to bring the good news to this world. And he knows, the devil knows, that if he can get you tripped up into sin like he did with David, that he can jeopardize all of those wonderful things God wants to do in your future. The consequences of sin can travel and touch many parts of our lives, things that we are not even thinking about. So think twice when it's a little compromise. Think twice when it's just a little thing that you're overlooking. Because you think about like how, how do leaks work in, our, in our, our homes? Like if you have a leak in a pipe, right? If you have a, a, a backup, you know, in a, in a pipe, you know, you need to fix it because you know that just covering it up, putting a towel over it, slapping a piece of duct tape on it, you know that that's actually not going to help. You know that, right? So you don't do that. Because you know that the problem will actually just get worse. If you cover it up, if you hide it, right? You just, hey, let's just put a whole blanket over this thing. It, it'll, it'll, it'll go away. You know it won't go away. It'll just get worse. The block up will get worse. It'll back up into the rest of your home. The, the leak will get worse and more water will come out and there'll be a, a bigger problem. And, and, you, and you know by life and practical experience that covering up a small problem doesn't make it go away. It makes it a bigger problem, a worse problem. So why do we do that in our character? Why do we do that with our integrity? Why do we think that by covering up something small that it'll just go away. And if we ignore it, if we pretend like it's not a big deal, it'll just go away. See, here's the lesson we learned. Cover-ups cause backups and blow-ups. The backup that slows down the whole calling that God has on your life, all the things he wants to do, it just stops all that up and it can cause a blow-up, a meltdown, a, a breakdown. 
I mean, there's so much ruin that can happen in our lives by simply trying to cover up sin. And that's exactly what David thought he did. He thought he covered it up. He thought he solved the problem, but it doesn't go away. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, grew it up with him and his children, and shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man, and he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by, because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. What a story, right? David thought he covered up and then Nathan comes to him and he, and he says, you thought you hid this, but the Lord noticed it and he sent me here to confront you. And, and David realizes the weight of his sin. He realizes what he's done and he confesses his sin. Now, when he confesses his sin, I, I love here that says, the Lord forgave him. And when you come to the Lord, no matter what it is that you've done to rebel against him, no matter how terrible it is, no matter how much you thought you've hidden it, no matter how bad it was, no matter how guilty you feel about it, no matter how wrong it was, if you come to the Lord genuinely and confess your sin, the amazing thing is by the promise and the authority of his word, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of all of our sins and purify us from all of our unrighteousness. If you confess your sin, he will forgive you. He's faithful even when you have been unfaithful. So that's what we need to know. But we also need to know what Nathan said here to David. He said, just because God has forgiven you, David, he's not gonna take away all the consequences. There's still consequences to our sin, to our compromises. And when you have sinned and you have rebelled against God and you have covered it up and you are trapped in that prison like we talked about earlier, how do you get out? How do you, like David, find the forgiveness of God? Here it is. The cure to a cover-up is confession. The cure to a cover-up is confession. That, that's how you find forgiveness. That's how you find freedom. God's word has this amazing verse for us in, in the book of James. 
James chapter five, verse 16. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Did you see that? Confess your sins to each other. Yes, we need to confess our sins to God. That's where forgiveness comes. He's faithful to forgive us when we confess. No matter how unfaithful we've been, he, he will forgive us. But he also commands us to confess our sins to each other because that's where healing comes. That's where health can be restored in our lives. You need someone. You don't have to tell everybody everything, but you need to have someone in your life that you can tell everything to. You, you need to be able to confess and share what's going on. Otherwise, the devil's got you trapped in that prison of your mind, carrying all the guilt, carrying the weight, not having help, having blind spots, at liability of falling again. God wants you to be healed. God wants you to find forgiveness. His chosen path for that is for you to confess. And that's why this lesson is so important. The cure to a cover-up is a confession. I just wanna say that again. The, the cure to a cover-up is confession. If you feel stuck, if you feel in prison to your sin, the cure is, is to confess to, to God first and then to others in your life. We need that. When we carry sin in our life, it always has consequences. There's very practical and real consequences to our life. The other night, we, we had an opportunity to go out on a date night. I'm so thankful. I love dating my wife. We've been married 20 years, and, and dating each other is one of those things that's helped us have longevity in our marriage. And so we had a babysitter coming over, and we're getting the house ready, right? Cleaning the toilets, straightening up the house, getting everything just right, taking the trash out. It's like, man, we're sweating. We're, we're hiring the babysitter that's going to come over here tonight and watch our kids. Yeah, we're working for the babysitter right now. You know what I'm talking about? It's a lot of work. But we're, we're, we're thankful. We're thankful we get to go out on a date night and get the house all ready. Kids are ready. We need to get food for the kids. So I, I run down to Domino's to get a couple pizzas for them. So they have dinner. I'm there waiting for our pizzas to be made. And I noticed something very interesting that happens. The, the worker that's about to, to check me out at the register, I, I noticed this, this big oven behind them. It's got a conveyor belt. The pizzas are inside the oven on the conveyor belt, slowly making their way to the, to the end of the line where they'll be put in a box and served to the customer. And I noticed that there's a pizza that's coming out of the oven and, and the worker at the register turns around and takes that pizza that's about to the edge of the conveyor belt and gives it a little whack and it goes back into the oven. And I thought, what's going on here? And I take a closer look and I, I think I realize what's happened is they're let me pay my bill and I'm checking out. I, I start to realize what's going on. And so I just ask a question. I say, so, so if that pizza comes out and you don't catch it in the box or knock it back in there, just, does it just fall to the ground? And they're like, yeah, it just, just falls to the ground. I'm like, really, how, how often does that happen? They say, well, it never happens. It, it almost never happens. Every, every once in a great while, but really it never happens because we know that if it falls to the ground, then we got to start all the way over again. That pizza's got to be thrown away. It's waste and we got to start over again. We'll be in trouble. So because there's practical consequences, we, we don't let it hit the ground. Whenever we sin, there's practical consequences in our life. Sometimes you see them, sometimes you don't. It impacts your life. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your character. It impacts your future. It has practical consequences. There's a, there's a cliff, so to speak, that you fall off every time you sin. And, and thank God by his grace, we don't get the full weight of all we deserve every time we sin. We, we couldn't bear it. We, we couldn't carry that weight. But there's also not just practical consequences. There is spiritual consequences and eternal consequences for our sins. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. You see that? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Right? There's, there's death, a spiritual death, an eternal death, an everlasting death and separation for God for our sins. This is why Jesus coming to earth 2,000 years ago was the greatest moment in human history. This was the turning point. In the same way that David's turning point was in those successes and then when he, he sinned against God, that was a turning point in his life when things changed and he would have consequences. He would have family members that would be in rebellion against him. There'd be incest in his family. There'd be death in his family. His kingdom would, would, would suffer the consequences. His whole life would be impacted by this decision. And, and that was a turning point. But in the same way, the turning point of human history was when Jesus came and died on that cross. Why was that the turning point of human history? Not only is it the turning point on our calendar, right? I mean, like 2022, like over 2,000 years ago from that moment. We even count our calendars by this. Why, why was that a turning point in human history? It wasn't just because that's when we count our calendar. It was, it was because that's the point that God brought the solution to bear on our sin. The solution was an innocent savior, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, dying and paying the price for your sins so you don't have to pay the price for your sin. And he died there, a sinless savior. A sinless savior said, whoever looks to me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you look to me for your salvation, confess your sins to me, receive me in your life, you can be forgiven. You have the right to be made a child of God, the eternal king, if you receive his forgiveness in your life. And so whatever prison you might feel like you're in today because of your sin, maybe you feel like, David, you have, you have fallen, you have struggled, you have rebelled against God. Look, whether that's a long time away in your past or whether it's been fresh, if you'll turn to God, you can rebound and bounce back from that failure. And you can land in a really good place like David did. God would bless him in the future and there would be great things that would come. Even though there was consequences, God would still do great things through him and he would make a great impact in the world for Christ. The problem is those consequences, those practical consequences would still be there. So how much better to avoid the mistake in the very beginning? And I hope that if that's where you're at flirting with the potential of a failure that you'll move in the other direction. But if you have failed, you can know that God's mercies are new every morning. God's grace is sufficient for all of your failures. You just need to turn to him. The cure for that problem, the cure for that failure is confession. So bring it to him today and find the forgiveness of God so that you can rebound well. Right on, right on. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your amazing forgiveness and grace. We thank you for your love. There's so much, God, that we have to thank you for. Most of all, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on that cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory, God. We, we know and are aware of, painfully aware of our sins and our shortcomings. But God, we are so thankful that when our sins increased, God, your grace increased all the more. That God, no matter how many sins we had in our life, God, your, your grace, God, we look to you. We humbled ourselves and we, we said, we're a sinner. God, you saved us from our sin. You saved us from ourself. And we thank you that, that God, you do forgive. And God, I pray today for those who are working through the consequences from from sin. For, we, we pray that you would help them, God, navigate those, the, those realities in their life as they work through them and try to get to a better place. And God, as they recover from failures and move forward into the future, as they rebound. And I pray, God, that you would restore and renew, God, and reimagine in their life what the future could look like as they walk closely with you. But God, we also pray for those who are stuck today and they haven't yet confessed. They haven't brought it into the light and they're struggling and stumbling through the darkness. God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would convict them to confess to you, God, but also to someone else that can help them. God, help them. Whatever dungeon they're trapped in, whatever hard spot they're stuck in, God, I pray that, God, you'd help them rebound out of that by your grace and with your power. But God, may they recognize today 
that they cannot do it alone. They need you. So God, may they look to you today. May they look to others for help. God, bring around people that can hold their arms up and keep them strong when they're weak. And I pray, God, that all of us can take this message and and that we could be on the lookout for those in our life who are going through what David went through, failures and what because of their own sin and what Joe went through as we talked about last week, struggles that may have nothing to do with their own choices. May we keep our eyes open for those who are in the pit, in the valley, so that God, we can share your good news with them so they can rebound and experience your amazing grace. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for this amazing story in your word to help give us truth and guidance in our life here and now. We thank you for who you are and what you mean to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before our usher team comes forward to receive our tithes and offerings and response cards, here's a few important things happening with our CE family. Thank you so much for being such a generous church in helping people in need. Last Sunday, we collected food at each of our CE campuses. Together, we collected 1,180 pounds of food for those who need it. The standard weight of a meal is about 1.2 pounds per meal. So in total, our church family was able to give 983 meals to people in need. On behalf of all the people we helped together, thank you for your incredible generosity and for being a great example of what God's church should be in our cities. As our ushers come forward to collect our response cards and receive our tithes and offerings, our next fund offering is an opportunity for us to collectively make a bigger kingdom investment that stretches into the future generations. Your above and beyond giving to the next fund will allow us to help people in need in our communities, invest in the next generation throughout our CE campuses, start new church locations by launching new CE campuses, and invest in momentum building projects at established CE campuses. We're asking our CE family to prayerfully consider committing to a recurring gift designated to the next fund and to join us as we kick off next for the year ahead by giving a generous above and beyond gift on Sunday, December 11th. With your partnership, we can turn this vision into a God-pleasing and life-changing reality. Thank you for being on mission with us to help more people experience a full life in Jesus Christ.
during the service and we'd love to have you reach out and tell us about it by scanning the QR code. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can scan that same code or go to churchexperience.tv connect. We hope to hear from you. If you haven't, check out our CE social media, our Instagram, Facebook, website, or our app. Make sure you do or go ahead and hit that subscribe button. I've loved our time together and I can't wait to see you next week.